And welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host, as always, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, here with another Thursday quick shift edition of TKS. Oh boy, oh boy, the last few days, ladies and gentlemen, have been uh, interesting, to say the least. We've had round two officially in full swing including the North Division, finally getting underway. We've had some surprises in the other divisions as well. We'll get to all those today. I will give a disclosure, though, right off the jump. I will not be talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. I won't do that. We did that enough on Monday with Lucas Weiss. By the way, you can check that out, of course, on your favorite podcatcher and or the Kuehl Show YouTube channel to watch the replay of that awesome interview with none other than Mr. Weiss. But the reason why is because, A, it's only an hour today. And, you know, I can, you know what? We're going to, we'll, we'll do it. I'll, I'll give my quick piece here, but we'll we'll hold off on it because here on 12 Ounce Sports, we have to thank our awesome sponsors, including mybookie.ag, mybookie.ag. You can go on there, use the promo code 12 Ounce Sports, win and get paid. So many sports going on, so much to gamble on. U.S. Women's Open starting today. I think you can gamble on that as well. Get on there, win, and get paid on mybookie.ag. And as always, up in the corner, secondstringleather.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. I didn't pause because I forgot. I paused for effect on the sticker, up in the corner. And if you're listening on you know your podcast, your favorite podcatcher, well, secondstringleather.com. That's where you got to check it out, hashtag crafted from the crease. Lots of cool stuff for Father's Day gifts, guys. Check that out. You may want to... Go look at some of that stuff. They got like cool like leather trays you can use to put like your rings and all your trinkets or whatever. So check that out. That's Second String Leather Company. So, oh, I almost forgot too. Uh, guys, if you really want to, you can always get our awesome merchandise. Look at that. TKS merchandise on Teespring. Teespring.com slash store slash The Cool Show with dashes between the and cool and show. So be sure to go on there and get your favorite TKS swag because you want to be swag. Spectacular. Looking good in the Kuehl Show gear. So let's get into it. We'll go into, obviously, like we've usually done, we'll talk about the games that are going on tonight later on in the second half. Isles and Bruins game three, as well as Canes and Lightning. That'll be in the second half of today's show, the bottom of the hour. We'll start off in here in just a little bit, talking about both the North Division and the West Division games that happened last night. Vegas falling down behind 0-2 to Colorado and, well, a uh, uh, interesting game, to say the least, between Winnipeg and Montreal. Now, the reason why Montreal is even there in the first place, well, kids, because uh, it didn't go well for the Mudville 9 on Monday night. By that, I mean it did not go well for the Toronto Maple Leafs. For those that watched the live show on Monday, the Leafs were down 2-0 by the end of our program. Didn't get any better. Ended up losing the game three to one. William Nylander decided to score late in the game to make it three one to give us any you know give any forms of hope, which was absolute gong show. And the the crazy part is this: I I sat there and I listened to some of the interviews on Locker Cleanout Day on Tuesday. I watched 
a lot of, I mean, of course, I watched the LFR, the Steve Dangle LFR, and I'll be honest, I had the same, the very similar reaction that he did. Now, yes, very disgruntled the Leafs lost. I didn't yell and scream, didn't throw stuff. Kelly made sure of it. I did not drink as much beer as we thought we were going to drink, which is probably for the best the way that game went. Two things come out of that game seven for me. One, while the Leafs didn't play their best game, whenever they did get a good chance, carry Price. The Leafs got goalied in game seven when they had a chance because there were a lot of good scoring chances in that third period as well. The Leafs partially got goalied in game seven. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, what's gonna have to, what, what do you have to do to this team? What do you have to do? We're going to blow it all up? Is it all over? Well, my thing was this, and I was talking to my, my dad and I were hit the driving range yesterday. We were talking about it because, of course, he's got oh, your Leafs lost. Yes, dad. Thank you. Here's the thing, though. Uh, I don't know like how tough that was for a loss. And I remember I was talking to him about it. In today's world, it's so hard to lose. And by that, I mean, it's so hard to lose because when you do, everyone piles on right away. Do you know how many years the Red Wings were actually good before they won a cup? Scotty Bowman took over in 93 after the Leafs lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs in Game 7 in the 93 Campbell Conference, or excuse me, the Norris Division semifinal in the Campbell Conference playoffs. That was, remember, the famous Nikolai Borshevsky goal in Game 5 was Lino goal. Pat Burns giving the old, yeah, yeah, let's do this, guys. I mean, because Pat Burns was an absolute legend. Here's the thing, though, with that. The Wings were good for like five or six years, but found ways to lose in the playoffs. They weren't really contenders in the 80s when they kept getting knocked out by the Oilers. They, they made it to a semifinal. I, oh, gosh, I forgot what year it was, but they made it there, and Stevie Eisenman could only do so much. They ended up getting knocked out by the Wayne Gretzky Edmonton Oilers a couple times, actually. To my point, though, is, guys, yes, they were favored going into the series of Montreal. And to anyone out there that said the Leafs in five, kick rocks. I could have told you that right away. I didn't pick this series because I knew it was going to go longer because Carey Price in the playoffs is a whole different bean. Carey Price may be good or decent during the regular season, but when it's all of a sudden it goes playoff time, it's legitimately like Chris Osgood. Chris Osgood could be eh during the regular season. He could be above average. Come playoff time, the switch flips, and he becomes a saint, a sensational netminder. The only reason why that series in 0-2 against the Leafs when he was with the Islanders that went seven games was because of Christopher Osgood. Didn't help that Curtis Joseph had a couple bad games in there, but I digress. That's what I'm saying, though. Carey Price is that good of a goaltender in the postseason, which is why we'll pertain to game one here in just a couple minutes. The Leafs, though, everyone keeps, yes, they keep pointing at Mitch Marner. And I've told a couple people, you know what? If Mitch Marner was left open to the Seattle expansion draft, fine, whatever. However, teams find ways to win eventually. How long did it take Tampa children with this group? It took them seven years. Or just about, if you want to consider 2014, I mean, 2014, the team was supposed to be good, but then Stamkos got hurt right before the postseason, right before the playoffs, and so did Ben Bishop. Anders Lindback has to go in there and start against the Canadians, and of course Montreal swept him in that series. 
What happens next year? Stamkos is healthy. Bishop's healthy. They make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. 16, they get knocked out in the Conference Finals. 17, they don't make it. 18, they get knocked out in the Conference Finals. 19, they get swept in the first round. 20, they finally win. How many of you said, let's blow this Tampa Bay team up because they're clearly not good enough to win? Now, yes, it took Julian Breezewatt to bring in a couple guys, Goudreau, Coleman, Maroon, Bogosian, you know, role players, tough guys, Luke Shen, of all people. Yet, they found a way. I, kids, I get it. Yes, the Leafs have not won a series yet. Tampa had at least made it to the finals before and at least won a couple rounds. I get your argument there. However, teams need to find a way to win and they need to learn how to lose before they can win. I'm not saying don't let this team buy easily. Don't let them know that they're playing poorly. Whatever you want to do on your Twitters or your Facebooks, what have you. All I'm going to say is this. If you keep this team together as much as you can, if you can bring back guys like Joe Thornton, Spezza, Bogosian, Simmons, all those guys who signed to those one-year cheap contracts, bring them back again. Yes, an 82-game season will be different. In the Atlantic Division, it'll be different. I get that. However, this team was built to win in the playoffs, and they just fell apart. Teams collapse. I don't want to make this comparison because it's an older group, but how different was the 2010 Boston Bruins to the 2011 Boston Bruins? The 2010 Bruins that were knocked out after having a 3-0 lead to the Philadelphia Flyers, who had goaltenders like Brian Boucher and Michael Layton. That's my point, kids. They end up winning it all next year. Now, I'm not saying the Leafs are going to win next year. I'm not going to go that far. What I'm saying is, give this group one more chance. One more shot. Someone's going to get left open, I get it, in the expansion draft. And that may put a hole in there. Yes, you still have Zach Hyman's contract to worry about coming up here. And you have all the old guys, like I said. But my point is, this team can win. Probably for the best that we had this show, or I had this show on Thursday and not Tuesday. Maybe a little different, but I've had a lot of time to think about this. This team was built specifically to win because they have both the skill and the toughness. What are they going to do with goaltending? I don't know. Seems like Freddie's going to be left open for anyone to take a shot at. Jack Campbell, you may go with him. You may find someone maybe a little bit more of a 1B backup and kind of have them split time, like how Rask and Halak were able to do last season for Boston. And how Cammy Talbot and Capo Kakinen were able to do it in Minnesota. That worked pretty well. Heck, look at Dallas. Um, back when Ben Bishop was healthy, of course. Him and, and Anton Hudobin both played pretty well, I would think. If you can find a guy that can play a solid 1B, him and Campbell, that's pretty good. Heck, for a while, Michael Hutchinson was actually doing an okay job. Don't bail on this team yet. Yes, it sucked. It totally sucked watching Montreal win that game. However, it just feels like this team is going to explode and have a humongous year. Yes, there's Tyler, but this was the humongous year. I know. They won the division. Now, granted, a lot of people are looking at Colorado in that West division and think, how in the world can either Winnipeg or Montreal 
who are going to play Colorado or Vegas, whoever comes out of the West, looking like Colorado right now, how can they match up with either of those teams? We'll find out, okay? What I'm saying is, the Leafs don't need to win a division title to be a cup contender. They don't need to barely just make it. They can do whatever. Give this team another shot. If next year it all goes wayside, blow it up then. Blow it up then. Now, let's go back over here to the playoffs that are still going on. The North Division, Winnipeg versus Montreal on Wednesday night, last night. It was a... Well, let me tell you this. I was driving home. Dad and I, were. we had a drink after the after we went to the driving range, and I listened to it for the first about 10 minutes of it. The shock when I was driving my car back to hear Yesberry Kakaniemi and, oh, shoot, who scored the second goal? Uh, Eric Stahl, right. Eric Stahl got the second goal for the Canadians. To hear those two guys score, all of a sudden, bang, bang, I'm like, whoa, boy. Montreal seemed like they were prime for the pickings. Mainly because maybe we kind of had a little bit of a misconstrued or maybe we were misguided after Colorado absolutely lambasted Vegas on Sunday night in game one. Because remember, that was 48 hours, less than 48 hours after Vegas played their seventh game against Minnesota. So they thought, all right, Montreal playing game seven on Monday night. They have to go now to Winnipeg on Wednesday, less than 48 hours and a travel day. Oh, that's going to be tough, right? Well, boy, oh boy, I tell you right now, children. They uh, they outplayed Winnipeg, not horribly, but boy, did Montreal get the betterment of the chances in the first period. Winnipeg started to come back around later on. Second period, no scoring. First of all, before we get to the third period, how about Ryan, how about Nick Suzuki? Almost said Ryan Suzuki. Nick Suzuki, that beauty goal on Connor Vesnabuck. I still believe that should be the case. I'm I know I'm wrong, and they announced the candidates already, but I'm just saying. And let me tell you, that's a great play by Suzuki. The kid has so much confidence. I remember when he first got called up and he was going to be on the big club. And I said to myself, like, ah, is he too young still? I mean, he's he was great at the junior level. He was good at Owen Sound and Guelph. Can he do this, though, at the big time? Can he do this at the NHL? Is he big enough? You know, that's the size question. I know Brandon Gallagher is there, but Gallagher is a different, he's a whole different enigma in itself. However, Suzuki fits right in. One of the creative players. It took him a little bit to get his feet going, but he once he came around, you could tell that he was going to be something. And now, especially in these playoffs, that first round against Toronto, and now getting the goal last night against the Jets, he's looking pretty confident, kids. You don't just pull a Datsuk in game action like that, in tight, with just cycling the puck. It wasn't like it was a breakaway like Datsuk had. This was, people were around him, and he had the presence of mind. I'm like, I'm just going to go swoop and beep. That's exactly the sound it made. I know it didn't sound like that on the broadcast, but that's the sound it made, kids. On the Nickelodeon broadcast, of course. But I, I tell you, when it was 3-1 after 20 minutes of play, I said to myself, all right, is Winnipeg taking for granted that the fact that Montreal was only on a day or so rest? Because they hadn't, like I said, they hadn't played in nine days to the Jets since sweeping the Edmonton Oilers. Yet, like I said, Winnipeg started to come back around a little bit, made it close, had a goal come from had a goal early on. Brandon Gallagher makes it four two. Kyle Connor scores to make it four three. So you're like, oh boy, it's not over yet, children. 
And then a puck gets cleared down. Here comes Jake Evans thinking, all right, it's all but over. Jake Evans comes around and gets drilled by Mark Shifley. I have not seen a hit like that. Like a hit, like a straight blind sight, a blind sight hit where it's like face to face. It's not blind sight, Tyler. It makes sense. Jake Evans didn't think Shifley was going to nail him like that. Maybe Corey Krug, Corey Krug, Tory Krug hitting Robert Thomas. Wasn't it Robert Thomas in the 2019 finals in Boston when Krug flying down the ice with his with his hair in his wind? My, my thing is this. Is that, and people are like, but Tyler, isn't that a similar hit? Tory Krug skated all the way down the ice, came over, ran him over. Listen, Shifley's hit was dirty. Tory Krug's hit on Robert Thomas was perfectly fine. Puck was going out of the zone. He hits him. He ends up going over him, so he does leave his feet after the collision. But the interesting that Mark Shifley was, Mark Shifley knew that Jake Evans was coming around, and at no point did he realize, I should probably slow up a little bit because he's going to score, and what's the point in hitting him? Well, Shifley didn't think that. He thought, let's just hit this guy because we're losing. We shouldn't be losing. And this kid's right there. That's something that I do when I'm playing NHL Be a Pro. I bolt down the ice and I absolutely rain the defenseman. I get away with it, kids. Why? Because I went to the AI settings and turned down the penalties a little bit and turned down charging so I can do stupid stuff like that and have some fun. This is an actual person. And Jake Evans had to be stretchered off the ice and thank you, NHL.com, by the way, for making it clear that Jake Evans will be out with a concussion. Wow! Who would have thought? A guy that had to get stretched off the ice has a concussion. Absolutely got demoralized. He got destroyed. And, of course, there's no timeline for return. It's an absolute, just a disaster. Shifley, of course, who got roughed up by, was it by Ben Sherrod earlier in the period or whatnot. It's just, I get why Shifley was mad. But it's it's annoying because you want that hit not to be there. And I tweeted this last night and I said, what cactus you know got stuck up Shifley's ass? That's what I said on the broad on, on Twitter last night. And and I said this too. I'm like, listen, Rock'em Sock'em was three decades ago. Let's or two decades ago. Let's bring it back a little bit here. I'm not saying don't try, don't skate down the ice, but if you realize he's gonna score, then you don't have to hit him. You don't have to. That's the problem I think I have with this whole thing. You realize you're not going to get there first. Why ream him off the puck? I was listening to Hockey Central earlier today, and Jeff Merrick and Justin Borum are having a great conversation about this. They were talking about the difference between hitting and body checking. Body checking is using your body to remove the guy from the puck. Shifley hit Jake Evans last night. Because he knew he was not going to get to the puck. And he thought, you know what? This kid's prime for the taking. Now, yes, there is. I, I get. I hear the opinions of other people. I'm listening. I hear you when you say Jake Evans should not be just going around the net like that. And not expect to get hit. I don't think Jake Evans expected to get his head taken off, though. That's my problem with this whole thing. It's a high hit. It's a hard hit. And Jake Evans had to be stretched off the ice. Now, it was a it was not an in-person hearing or a Zoom hearing, whatever it would have been. So the max he could get is five games. As of right now, 
as it is 6.20 right now, Eastern Standard Time. We have not heard anything yet based on what has happened with this with the hearing. It happened today. They said this afternoon to the NHL player safety, or at least some point today. But as of right now, we have not heard anything yet. No official suspension yet. Now there's 12, there's about 1,300 comments, and everyone's kind of waiting. Oh boy, there's a still, someone decided to take a still shot and put it in the comment section of Jake Evans' head, literally pointing behind his shoulder, like, like further than this. Like, for, like it, it just does not look good. So, I don't know. I've gone back and forth. And my first reaction was five games. Give them the max you possibly can. But then it's like, I, I, I get it. It should be suspendable. It should be a suspendable hit, which it is. It's a suspendable hit and should be suspension involved. I just don't know what it could be. Two or three, maybe. Because that's the thing, too, is with Shifley, first time offender, that's the problem we have here, kids. Now, granted, yes, there is the anomaly of the Tom Wilson saga, but we've done that enough here on this program this season. So we're going to leave that one out for the kids at home to talk about. However, you hope Jake Evans, I mean, apparently he was moving, his extremities were moving, so it sounds like it's just a concussion. And it's just the worst way for these playoffs to go, especially since the fact that Game one between Toronto and Montreal saw John Tavares go down, albeit a freak accident. This time, a poor youngster, Jake Evans, gets his head almost taken off, turned sideways, almost backwards, almost looking like the exorcism almost, by Mark Shifley on an unnecessary hit. That's my problem. It's an unnecessary hit. And of, of all this talk about is it clean or should it actually be suspendable or Jake Evans had his head down, it was an unnecessary hit. Shifley did not need to hit him. He realized at some point he was not going to get there first. That's my thing with all this. If he puts his stick out and tries to at least make it look like he's trying to poke the puck away and then follows through like you would on a normal body check, I think we'd be in a talking, we'd be having a much different conversation. That's all we'd be having. Shout out to Nick Ehlers, by the way, when the whole scrum started happening, realizing what was at hand, not just, hey, let's go after... Let's try to get after Mark Shifley and try to hurt him. No, he just said, you know what? I'm going to try to protect this young kid because he is not in a good spot whatsoever. Great. Shout out to him and all the staff there for getting him off the ice safely. Like I said, all we know is that he has a concussion. Nothing more than that from Jake Evans in Montreal camp. Game three, game two, excuse me, tomorrow night at Bell MTS place. 7.30 puck drop. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the whole comments with Joel Edmondson saying they're going to make him miserable or whatever. And then Dominic Ducharme trying to Trying to say, what? Hold on. Let me just make sure. Is that just a... Is that just a tweet? Okay, that's probably just a tweet. Sorry, no, I I got a little worried for a second because I saw someone tweet two games. So... Just making sure there's no other tweets that I missed right yet. Nope. Okay, nothing yet. I saw someone tweet two games, a person with a blue check mark next to it, but it's, I don't know if they're just talking about it or what, but regardless, it's going to look like it be two or three games. Let's be honest. That's how it's going to be. So with that said, we'll pause here. When we come back, we'll talk about the other divisions going on. We'll talk about the West, talk about how 
Vegas is in trouble, and Colorado is looking like a really good hockey club. Now, they've had two very different wins in the first two games of this series, but you know what I mean. This Colorado team is looking like they want to be a team that is a contender coming up later on this postseason. So we'll take a quick pause here. When we come back, we'll have more of the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome, everyone, back to the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Inside of the Insiders, Tyler Kuehl here. Let me tell you something, guys. This World Hockey Championship this year, it has been absolutely bonkers to say the least. Not just because Great Britain won for the first time in almost 50 years in regulation. How about the fact of the quarterfinals today that occurred today? First of all, Germany in a shootout. Knocking out Switzerland. Now, the reason why that was an interesting matchup is because they were kind of both in the middle of the divi- in the middle of their pools. Typically, in most international tournaments, you see Swiss or Germany play like the top team in the pool. Well, with so many teams, they got an opportunity to have a little bit of more of a favorable matchup in Germany, which has just been so good this year. I'm gonna quick pull up the standings here. Germany finished in their group. I can find it here. Where the heck are the final state? I don't want preliminary. There we go. They finished third in group B. So they took on the, and they did cross. So they took on the Swiss who are number two, because obviously it's only the top four from each. Sweden didn't even make it. Of course, despite three wins in regulation, they went three Oh one and three. They had three regulation losses. That was the problem with them. Canada barely got in because they were able, they got lucky after Latvia lost to Germany. Germany saves the Canadians. Germany now is moving on to the quarterfinals. The team they're going to face is Finland. Finland, who was out of all the powers, they were one of three. Russia, U.S. are the other two. We'll get to those in a minute. They finished second with a 4-2-1. and one. Didn't lose a single game in regulation. Their one loss came as an overtime loss. They were able to pick up a one nothing victory over the Czech Republic, who... It just looked like a team that this was the possibly the year the Czechs could have pulled it off. Unfortunately, they ran to a good finish team with a good goaltender, and that was the end of that. Russia and Canada. This was the one versus four. They crossed, remember. Canada was down going into the third period, one nothing. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not gonna happen. Not today, not this year. Oh well. You know, I not it doesn't happen all the time, and it's okay. Well, you know, then there's an early goal by Adam Henrique early in the third period. Okay. Canada's in this. A lot of tense moments, and then they go to overtime. And then Troy Stetcher, who is probably excited that he's playing on a team that's not called the Detroit Red Wings, comes down the left wing side, makes a great move around the Russian defender. Beautiful pass across, gets to Andrew Mangiapane, who has been probably the MVP for Team Canada. He scores the game winner in overtime. Canada with the upset going into the semifinal. The semifinal opponent will be the Americans who they whipped or who whipped Canada in preliminary play and whipped Slovakia in the quarterfinal. Those will be on Saturday. The final and third place game will be on Sunday. So if you're following this, I believe they're both going to be on NHL Network, the semifinals. It'll be a 7.15 a.m. start, 11.15 or 7.15 for U.S. Canada, 11.15 a.m. start for Finland, Germany. And then the third place and final will be 8.15 on Sunday, 1.15 on Sunday for the championship game. So 
it'll be a very it's a very fun tournament. I know it's not as big as the playoffs, but hey, that's why it's nice that it's in Europe this year. You can watch the games live and then watch the Stanley Cup playoffs later on. So it's a very fun tournament to watch. It's on NHL Network. I believe they had a few of the games on ESPN Plus as well. Maybe I'll have to look and see if they have, because that'd be so cool if I could actually watch them. I watched, I was I was able to watch, because I don't have the, the Fubo TV anymore. The free trial ended after the Leaf series was over, because I had to, I had seven days to watch it. But let's jump on back here to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's go to what happened last night between Vegas and Colorado. Colorado, after that first game, it's like, okay, that was a win, but they're not going to be that good, right? Well, they were looking pretty good early on. You know, he had Tyson Jost and Brandon Saad scoring goals in the first period. They went up two nothing, and then it's like, okay, this is this is going to be a it's going to happen all over again. But then Alec Martinez scores, Riley Smith scores for Vegas, and you know Vegas is playing pretty well here. Let's look at the shots. The shots just kept getting wider and wider and wider and wider of a gap through as the game went along. The shots ended up being forty-one to twenty-five in favor of the Golden Knights. Yeah, kids, those two days really helped off for Vegas. And boy, they, they were getting opportunities. And, you know, we always talk about Marc-Andre Fleury. We talk about how big of a flashy goaltender he is. And we talk about all the great goaltenders. How Andre Vasilevsky is a Vezna candidate and whatnot and how good he's going to be. But a guy that kind of got thrown in there this year was Philip Grubauer. Now, yes, Marc-Andre Fleury would be the other Vezna candidate. But Philip Grubauer, like, why is he there? He plays on a great team in front of him. Of course, he's going to have good numbers and all that. Well, then we saw what happened last night, and we said to ourselves, that's why he's a Vesna candidate. Because, boy, Grubauer, and now granted, if you asked me about four years ago if this would be true, I would never say that Philip Grubauer was going to steal the show and stand on his head and steal a playoff game, which he is starting in. I never would have thought that when he was in Washington behind Braden Holtby. Yeah, he had some good numbers as a backup, but that's because he was a backup. Curtis McElhinney was the same way in Toronto. Comes to Colorado, has a decent year, gets hurt in the playoffs last year. So I'm like, ah, boy, it's not going to be the year there for Colorado. This year, well, Philip Grubauer's been playing well, but it's, something's going to happen in the playoffs. Well, knock on wood to the first six games of the Colorado's playoffs. Uh, he's been pretty good, guys. You know, he didn't have to really stand out too much in that first series because Colorado handed St. Louis like it was nothing. So we go to round two thinking, all right, he'll have to play a little bit better. And he did. 39 saves in the win. Colorado is 6-0 now because why, kids? Because Riley Smith tapped the stick out of the hands of Miko Randon. Now, yes, it is a... It's... I'm not going to go with the full ticky-tacky verbiage on this one, but it's not... Not an easy call. It's an overtime, so you think you let it go, but... When you knock the stick out of someone's hands and it's deliberate, that's one thing. But when you're just trying to tap him and the stick falls out of his hands, I don't know. I think you let that go, especially in the playoffs, especially in overtime in the playoffs. It wasn't egregious. It wasn't like his sticks. If your sticks, if the guy's stick snaps in half when he slashes it out of your hands, then yes, that is a slashing penalty because that could do a lot more damage on any other part of the guy's player's body. So... Yeah, I, I was not a big fan of that call. Colorado goes on the power play. They get a couple of chances. They finally break through a goal coming for Nico Rantanen, who drew the penalty, gets the game-winning goal, 2-0 for Colorado. And I, it's tough. Now they're going back to Vegas, which is probably for the best. Had this been role reverse where Vegas was the home team in the first two games, boy, I'd be concerned. This series isn't over, but... 
Vegas is really going to have to put a couple of good games together on home ice at T-Mobile if they want a chance. Not just win one game. They need to win both games because if they only win one and they go back to Ball Arena in Denver for Game 5, I'm sorry, guys. We're looking at Colorado representing the West here in the Stanley Cup semifinals. I don't think there's any ifs, ands, or buts about that. So, and if you're Vegas, what do you do differently? You outplayed the Avalanche, the President's Trophy winners. Now, granted, Vegas up until the last week was leading the league in points, but I, but I digress. Vegas knows how to beat Colorado. The problem is that Colorado knows how to beat Vegas, and they did it even better the first two games. Flurry, he didn't play bad. Had a, had a squeaker early on because of because Brandon Saad, his goal, if you watch the replay back, his stick gets lifted by Pietrangelo. And, you know, Eddie Olchek said on the broadcast, which said a thousand times before, he's expecting a fastball and get the change up. Well, that's because a good, a decent back check, a decent back check by Alex Pietrangelo knocked the stick of Saad, which is able to allow him to shoot the puck still not as hard. And, of course, when you're a goaltender, this is where I like to, you know, pull it back here for the attendees out there. When you see the way Sod's about to shoot that puck, you know he's going to go high. He's not going to put it in your pads. So when his stick gets lifted and ends up knocking, like shooting it like on top of the puck, Flurry, who is a very unorthodox goaltender, he's not just going to drop down in the butterfly and then move his hands to wherever the puck's going to go. He's trying to read it and react to wherever it's going to go, glove side high, blocker side high, what have you. So when he all of a sudden it just slowly skids on the ice, he's all out of sorts because he's trying to track it like he would be on a clean shot. And all of a sudden, it sinks with a five-hole. Tough goal. It looks bad on Flurry. I don't give him. I don't say that's a huge mark on Flurry's on Flurry's badge there. So they go to Game Three tomorrow night. It's a must-win. It is a must-win for the Vegas Golden Knights. They they have to pull it off if they want to have a shot to come back in this series. Because Colorado is looking like a very hostile place again. It's looking like the '90s Colorado Avalanche, all at McNichols Arena. For you old folks out there. So if Vegas can win, yeah, great. They're going to have to continue to put pressure on. Grubauer, I'd say the third period is when they start to get the real big scoring chances, the real quality chances. You got to get those more often because Grubauer got into a real good rhythm right away. He found his comfort zone and he stuck in it, which is why he is a Vesna candidate goaltender. And Marc-Andre Fleur on the other end, his team played well in front of him and a couple bad goals beat him. And, you know, like I said, a pretty soft call there in overtime that led to the game winner. So I'm not going to give him on that. So we'll just see how game the game goes tomorrow night. Game three, 10 o'clock start Eastern time, 7 o'clock Pacific time in Paradise, Nevada, T-Mobile Arena. Let's jump back now to the games that are going to happen tonight. First game that's going to start here in about 50 minutes time, Boston and New York. Series tied at one. And, of course, I will say game two, of course, was Monday night. So I I was pretty focused on the Leafs, but I was able to catch up, watch the rest of the game, watch the overtime, and obviously I watched the extended highlights the next day to kind of make sure I got a full grasp for the hockey game because I had other, other I guess, uh, other priorities on Monday night. Boston wins game 1-5-2. David Pasternak, great game, gets a hat trick. Game two happens, and the Islanders... Decided to make Jeremy Lozon a absolute goat. Jeremy Lozon, who is a not a top defender for this hockey club, but he's there. You know, you always see his name in the lineup. You see him touch the puck, and you're like, oh, he's like, okay, there he is, cool. 
he reminds me of a guy like boy, I'm trying to think of an, of an older name, uh, like a Matthew Dandino for if you're a Red Wings fan. Hey, look, there's there's Matthew. Cool. Nice to see you, buddy. Nice. Go ahead and skate along there. Nothing flashy about him. But when the first goal, of course, was awful. I, and I just awful luck. First of all, got to give a shout out to Charlie Coyle. Beautiful goal beating Varlamov to start the game off. And that's where I thought, oh, boy, Boston's feeling good. Charlie Coyle, of all people, with a beautiful goal. Made it one nothing, But then Josh Bailey trying to center a puck goes off Lozon's skate into the back of the net. Nothing rest could have done. Unfortunate bounce for Lozon. It's 1-1. And then he's on the ice for the Kyle Palmieri goal, which is an absolutely weird bounce. Palmieri's whacking at the side of the goal. It actually, if you watch the replay back, he didn't jam it in from the side. It went, it was going to go into the crease where Lozon was, and then it actually bounced off Rask's glove, span off his glove, which was on the ice, and into the back of the net. Made it 2-1, and then J.G. Pajot scores to make it 3-1 Islanders. And we're like, oh my gosh. Here come the Islanders. This is all in the second period, by the way. The three goals for the Islanders. Islanders are going to win this game. They're going to go back to the Coliseum for game three and four. Taking away home ice advantage from the Bruins. But then the Bruins realize this is TD Garden. And where leads go to die. And Patrice Bergeron scores first, which for all of us Leafs fans, especially in the third period, right after the Game 7 as well, we all know too well. And then Brad Marchand scores, and TD Garden's Rockets, 3-3. They're going to overtime. Boss, like, we got all the momentum. We're going to win this hockey game. And then Jeremy Lozen again shows up, or Lozen posts up, and he, awful pass. I think he went off Charlie Cole's skate, actually. Casey Zekas at the blue line. Absolutely horrible play to make. Zikas comes down, walks in uncontested on a breakaway, scores the game-winning goal, and the Islanders win 4-3 and tie the series up at one, heading into Nassau tonight. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The Islanders could possibly get to the point again that they were last season. I don't know if they will, but they're in a good spot. And I, I, it sounds like, as far as I know, that it's going to be Varlamov. Obviously, warm-ups have not started yet. Let's check out our good friend who's over there at Left Wing Lock while I'm talking. Yet, I, it's so incredible to see this hockey club and just the fact they were able to go into Boston, which seemed like with all the fans in attendance, packed barn after game one, too. Oh, boy. Islanders are in trouble. They haven't played in front of a big crowd like this, a heavy crowd like this in a year and a half. They look pretty comfortable in game two. If they can play a complete 60, not let Boston get in it, boy, it's going to be tough for Boston to go into Nassau and have some luck and have some success. Now, yes, Boston can win in that building. If the Islanders, though, can play their game the way they played for the majority of that game two, it is not going to be a fun day for the Bruins. Varlamov, according to left-wing lock, he is getting the start in net tonight for the Islanders. Like I said, I thought I thought his his time was done with the Islanders after that game after games two and three against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Didn't look the best. Sorokin comes in, saves the day, wins three straight. Sorokin doesn't play horribly, but he gives up four. I think or excuse me, he gives up five in the loss in game one. So they think, okay, not going to be easy for him. So let's give Varlamov a chance, and then Varlamov plays well. So now it's clearly looking like Barry Trotz's team. All right, who's the hot goaltender here, guys? Because from what I remember, 
correct me if I'm wrong, kids. I know Thomas Grice played during the playoffs last year as well. But I'm pretty sure Varlama played the majority, you know? I have to go back and look that up, but Trotz is, remember what Alex and I talked about. Trotz is one of the best coaches ever since Scotty Bowman left. And it wouldn't be a shock to see him do this. He's going to ride the hot hand. So if Arlamov has a bad game tonight, you know who's going to play game four? Ilya Sorokin. He's willing to go back and forth with these two goaltenders. And it's funny for Trotz, because remember, Trotz is the one that started Grubauer in the 2018 playoffs for the Washington Capitals before Holtby took over and ran it the rest of the way. Now, what if that was just a tactic by Trotz to say, all right, Holtby, you better do this, buddy, or else we may be uh, having some problems here. Because before Grubauer really came on in Washington, when did Trotz ever have a two-goaltender setup? Look at his early days there in Nashville. He had Mike Dunham and couldn't even tell you who the other guy was. Then he had Thomas Vokun. Couldn't tell you who the other guy was. He had, it was either Chris Mason or Dan Ellis. Okay, uh, that's not much better. Or he had Pecorine, and I think Chris Mason was there for the first couple of years. But t- to that point, he had a starting goaltender and a guy right behind him. So now that he has two goaltenders, he's going to use that as much as he can as long as it works. Like I said, don't be shocked if Varlamov plays badly. He'll put the other Russian netminder in, and they'll probably keep going back and forth until they finally win the whole darn thing. Probably not the most consistent thing to do, but you know what? If it works, it works. Game three tonight, 7.30 there at Nassau Coliseum. I, our boss and what more he can do. First of all, Great game by Semyon Varlamov. Really came back around in the later stages of that hockey game. Let me quick see if I can pull it back here. Oh, dang, I went too far. Try to find the exact number. He had more saves than Tuka Rask. That I can tell you. That's what was pretty incredible about that game was the fact that he looked confident, he played well, and he didn't get rattled. Even when the first goal by Charlie Coyle came in, even when the two goals came in the third period, he played very comfortably. Quick look here. Come on, NHL.com. Go faster. Team stats. Yeah, 42. So, yeah, he had 39 saves in the game. Semyon Varlamov. Rask wasn't bad. Made 35 saves. Like I said, bad bounces. J.G. Pajot's goal. Awful turnover and a great feed by Anthony Beauvillier. The overtime winner, a horrible giveaway by Jeremy Lozen. So I, I don't give Tuka Rask any flack. Now, granted, the Islanders helped that they went two for three on the power play in that game. Game three tonight, Isles win. Boy, they have all the cards right where they want them. Boston wins. This series may go a few games here, guys. It'll be certainly interesting. Certainly a fun one to watch indeed. Now, let's go back over here. We'll finish up with this last series, the Central Division Final, Tampa and Carolina. Oh, my God. Goodness gracious me. Is Tampa going to sweep Carolina? When we had Alex on a Monday, it seemed like, all right, you know what? They lost one game, but they'll be back for game two. Andre Vasilevsky, guys, is going to win the Vezina this year for a much better reason than he was nominated last year. He was nominated one of the three, like I mentioned. Uh, he's going to win this year, guys. Not just because how he's played the first two games, but also because of the fact that, holy moly, to quote a sad Fox show. Holy cow, has he been sensational in these first two games. He's always had the ability to be a game stealer, but he hasn't had to. Look at the team in front of him half the time. 
Remember, he had a good game in that five-overtime thriller against Columbus in Game 1. Unfortunately, Jonas Corposalo had a little bit of a better game, but thankfully, it's Braden Point that was the hero for Tampa in that first game last season. However, 37 saves in Game 1, 31 in Game 2, and he made the saves when they needed it most. Alex Kalorn and Anthony Sorelli get goals in the first and second or first and third period, but it was the second and third period that Carolina, who loves to just shoot the puck at will, really took over in the hockey game. Vasilevsky made 13 saves in that second period, had to make 10 of 11 in the third. Carolina scored a goal late to make it interesting. Unfortunately, as you can tell by the way I'm talking, they were not able to pull it off because Vasilevsky, it easily could have been a 4-2 game for Carolina had Vasilevsky not made so many big saves there late in the game, coming in clutch after another 2-1 victory, 2-2-1 games, 2-2-2-1 games. Tampa goes now back home to Amelie Arena tonight for game three with a 2-0 series lead. I don't know what more Carolina could have done. It's not like they're giving Tampa a crap ton of power play opportunities. It's not like Alex Adelkovich is playing poorly. They outshot him 32 to 15 in game two, but yeah, you don't get that many shots in when they're great at scoring chances. Sorelli's goal was just a simple backhander coming down the side or coming across. Tough one for Nendelkovic to stop, certainly. I don't know what Carolina needs to do here. It's similar to what you look at with Vegas in game two. The difference is that Carolina played two good games against Tampa on home ice. Everyone was rocking. They were playing well. They just got goalied hardcore in the first two games. If Carolina can get a win tonight and maybe put a little bit of doubt in Tampa, I don't think you can. Tampa probably still be like, all right, we lost one game. We lost one to Florida. We still came back and beat them in six. But Carolina, I think for their confidence sake, they need to win tonight. They need to win tonight desperately. Because I don't, I mean, after they go down 3 nothing, I don't think this team is able to come back at all. I have more faith in Vegas coming back from a 3-0 deficit in the series against Colorado. I know it's crazy that sounds, but then I do Carolina against Tampa. The reason why is because Vegas has actually been in the playoffs for long periods of time. Carolina, exception of 19, they've, they've made it to the conference finals once. Their last appearance was 0-9. So 9 19, and then they lose, lost in the first, yeah, lost in the first round last year. People forget that to Boston. And they got killed by Boston in that series. Carolina's good, but the way this series has started, the fact that they can't score on Andre Vasilevsky, that's a problem. I really do not know what more they need to do. You just got to find a way to, and you can't let, you just can't allow any breakdowns. Cause that goal by Sorelli was a result of a, a little bit of a miscue on the back end by the hurricanes. If they, if Carolina were to come back, they have to win both. First of all, they have to win both games at Amelie. There's no better way to say it. If they lose, though, tomorrow, tonight, it's the series is over. Carolina's done. Alex is going to come back on the show, and he's not going to be happy. So we'll just have to wait and see how that game goes tonight. 7.30 and 8 o'clock, so laptops will be open for games tonight. Also, the U.S. Women's Open is starting up tonight. 
Brooke Henderson's already teed off, but unfortunately, I don't have the I don't have a Peacock account. I forgot to set that up. I was going to start watching it on here, but coverage on the Golf Channel didn't start till seven o'clock. So, uh, oh well, we just have to wait on that. Still no word yet on Mark Shifley. How long he's going to be suspended? Everyone's saying two games. Someone are saying three. People are asking for five. Like I said, game two tomorrow night. I'm looking at an athletic piece. Someone's talking about the prospect of Simon Edvinson, who is a lot of people are thinking he's going to be one of the top defensemen picked in this year's coming draft. Yikes, though. This just I say yikes because for the people that know Simon Edvinson who've watched him, he's a good defenseman. He's got size. He can skate. He just did not. He didn't look. He didn't. He did not impress me in the under 18s this year for Team Sweden. Uh, granted, Team Sweden as a whole didn't look that good. But it, that's just how the way the puck bounces, I guess. He, he just did not have a good, did not have a good little bit, did not have a good run. By the way, Jake Evans, I forgot to mention, did actually not go to the hospital. He got switched off the ice, but actually just went back to the hotel in Winnipeg. Obviously, he's going to keep it low key for a little bit, but it's good to know that he didn't have to go to the hospital. No structural damage, just a concussion. That's good to hear out of the Montreal camp. By the way, before we sign off here, How about the fact that the Buffalo Sabres finally won a draft lottery? Last night, before the games all started, before the schedule got going, there was the draft lottery. And Buffalo, only six years after unsuccessfully getting Connor McDavid after tanking hard, they finally get the top pick. Now, which is looking to be a guy like Owen Power, which will be, it's it's pretty apparent. I think I think he could be the guy. Owen Powers, a really good hockey player. Michigan this year has got a real good statement. University of Michigan, excuse me, is going to have a real good presence. Matty Beneers, who a lot of people are picking one, two, which if I'm not mistaken, I would love to know if I'm wrong, but that would be the first time ever that two players, not from the same team, the same college, go one, two in the NHL draft. Now, yes, there's been times when players go back-to-back later on in the draft, but I don't know if it's ever been the number one and the number two overall picks that have come from the exact same team. I would have to check on that, but I'm not quite sure. But, yeah, Buffalo wins the draft lottery. The Seattle Kraken get the number two pick, so they'll have a pretty good spot. Like I said, that's where people think Matty Beneers will be the guy. So I, I'm not sure... If who's going to do what? Let me quick find a. I forgot to pull up the list here. The entire draft lottery here. Da, 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 da. Where is it? I just want the. Just give me the list, you bum shackles. Where are we at here? There we go. So the 2021 draft order through the first 15, obviously, because they have to wait for the rest of the Stanley playoffs to wrap up before they go from 16 through 31 or 32. Ha! Ah, they made a mistake. Someone said pick 16 through 31 will be determined as a result of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They have to go to 32. NHL.com, you are wrong. I'm just being a nitpicky, grammatical Nazi person. I'm not going to name the author's name because I can't say his last name. <laughs> no, it's not Wyshynski. Calm down. That's for ESPN or Rosen. But anyway, so it's Buffalo, Seattle. Anaheim gets the third pick. That's going to be a good spot. New Jersey, Columbus. Detroit gets sixth again. 
Then you have San Jose, LA, Vancouver, 7-8-9. Ottawa gets 10th. Pretty sure Ottawa's mad that they played so well down the stretch there. Like, remember what I said, guys. You get rid of January and about a little bit of February. Ottawa is in the playoffs. If this were a 40, if this were a straight half season, 41 games, the Ottawa Senators would be in the Stanley Cup playoffs. As crazy as that sounds. 11 goes to Chicago, 12 is Calgary, Philadelphia, and Dallas go 13-14. The Rangers go 15th this year in the draft. So obviously a lot to pick. We're going to probably bring in Steven Ellis when we get a little bit closer to that. He's our draft expert on this show, works for the Hockey News. We've had him on a few times, great guy to talk to. We'll definitely have him on to give us the ins and outs of the prospects because, uh, you know, we got to do some draft coverage. Obviously, when we get closer to the Seattle draft, like I said, we're going to do so much stuff with that. It's going to be a whole hoot and nanny of fun. But, uh, yeah, that was a quick, nice little hour show here on 12-Ounce Sports, the Kula Show. And, of course, as always, folks, sometimes I forget to mention this, but I'm going to mention it right now. As I see, my hair looks like absolute garbage right now. That's why I got to listen to this episode later on on your favorite podcatcher, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. Did I say Spotify? What all anywhere you listen to your your favorite podcast, that's where we're at too. So make sure you give us a download a couple of our episodes, subscribe. Of course, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, the Kula Show, because that's where the replay will be up tomorrow morning. So pretty much the second half of the show has been an absolute just like, why do I even care what happened in game three? Or why do I care about your preview for game three? Because guess what? It's already over. That's true. However, you could watch and get me, have me get you ready for game three tomorrow night between Colorado and Vegas and game two of Winnipeg and Montreal, which happens on Friday night. So there you go. Now, probably should make something clear. Next Friday is probably where we're going to do our second show next week because Thursday I got something going on. So I won't, I've nothing crazy. We're just going to have a little family gathering that I am obliged to go to. So we will not be able to do a show on Thursday night. So we'll do it on Friday instead. Gives us a couple days in between each show. I don't want to do it on Wednesday because it's only two days. And then I don't want to do one on, or excuse me, it works that it's on Friday because it's still two days in between the two shows. So it works out in the end. Unfortunately, we're not quite funded enough yet to do a show every day. And I'm pretty sure you guys would not want to hear me every single day. So that's okay. I'll give you guys the benefit of the doubt there. So next Friday will be the the second show of the week. We'll be back Monday, of course, 6 o'clock here on 12 Ounce Sports, 6 to 8.30. But that is it from the Kuehl Show here today on this June 3rd. First show of June. Wow. Gosh, we're already in June. Now, granted, the playoffs have been on for a while, but you know what? That's just how she goes, right? So that is it for this week's episode, this second week episode of Kuehl Show. I'm your host, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. Make sure you follow us at the Kuehl Show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Give us the hashtag TKS, hashtag the Kuehl Show when you talk about today's episode. And well, like I said, check out the replay on your favorite podcatcher or the Kuehl Show YouTube channel. We will see you on Monday to give you more playoff talk. Hopefully no more suspendable hits. Can't even speak. We'll see you next time here on the Kuehl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll see you next time, guys. Goodbye.